Good morning, everyone. I'm reading John chapter 10. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down for, of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did, do not believe me. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. Again the Jews picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I have said, you are gods, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken? What about the one whom the Father set apart 
as his very own and sent into this world. Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do what my father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. Here he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Well, welcome again, everybody. Join with me um, in John 10. Uh, if you don't already have your Bibles open, open them up to John 10. We're going to continue our series uh, through John. We are just taking chapter by chapter, week by week, traveling through. By the way, I mapped this out. We will be ending and just leading straight into Easter. So it's going to be a joy to just let this narrative take us through the entire spring and Easter season, culminating at the, cru the crucifixion and resurrection stories in John. Um, I wanted to start today, um, actually in John chapter 20, just grabbing two verses there. So I know I just told you to jump to John 10. If you want to flip over to John 20 real quick and look with me there, um, I'm just going to grab these two verses. John helps us uh, as interpreters of the Bible, as readers. It can be helpful to know when you read a story what the point and the purpose of the story was. Often this can really help you sort through the details, the metaphors, what the author is trying to get across. And here John gives it to us plainly. He says in verse 30 of John chapter 20, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. That tells you this is a curated piece. And he says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Talked a lot last week about Jesus' primary drive, God's primary drive as a redemption God, a God who led the Israelites out of Egypt across the Red Sea that freed them from slavery and that Jesus is a healer. And so here we can see that the intent of all of these stories is not to divide and not to bring ruin, but to unite and bring healing. To unite everyone under the one true leader, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So as we jump in now to John chapter 10, let's keep an eye out for those sort of reasons as we walk through this text. This is a familiar um, illustration that Jesus makes. The idea of Jesus as the good shepherd. There's a lot of times um, in other Gospels where Jesus takes on the imagery of a shepherd. And in fact, throughout the Old Testament, there's a lot of times where God is viewed as the shepherd of his sheep or, dif or different people are viewed as shepherds of the flock. Um, so this would have been a very relatable, uh, theological understanding for the Jews. But it also would have been a very relatable image, and it was used that way because it was just a very relatable image for the people. It would be like us using an example of working at a 9-to-5 office job or driving your car down the street. We know this, we do this every day. And so that's where Jesus is pulling all of this from as he's bringing this figure of speech, which John calls it out as such in verse 6. 
And so let's jump into what is it that Jesus is getting at here? What is he doing in chapter 10? um, And where is he focusing? Chapter 10 is directly leading out of chapter 9. There's no break in time. There's no passage of time. We know this because in verse 21, uh, Jesus literally says, or or John literally writes, that they are contending over this man born blind and the healing of the blindness. So in verse 21, it says, Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. After Jesus told this story, they say, Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So we know that this is directly proceeding. John didn't write chapters and verses and subheadings in his text. He just wrote the novel, so to speak, and we have put those into Navigate. So really, this is all part of one big story. And so Jesus is relating to all of the division that happened after that healing with this particular story about Jesus being the good shepherd and Jesus being the door. So we're going to start with Jesus being the door, and we're going to look at what that means. Here's what I want to talk about. When Jesus is talking about this door um, imagery, when he is identifying himself as the door into the sheep um, fold and out into the pasture, he is helping us understand how to know and relate to our leaders, how to see a Christ-like reader, leader, and an unchristlike leader. And then what we'll look at after we look at those two things is we will look at Jesus himself as the best leader, the good shepherd. So hopefully it'll make it simple for you. Um, who are the characters in the story? What are the figures? We're fortunate. Jesus explains quite a few of them, right? So in verses one through six, he tells us the image. I'll read that again to refresh us. He says, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So already we have a thief and a robber. We have a door. We have a shepherd. To him, the gatekeeper opens. That's another character. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So the shepherd leads the sheep. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know him and they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Okay, so that's the figure of speech that Jesus uses. But John says they don't understand what he's talking about. It's not that they don't understand the imagery. They don't understand the meaning of what he's talking about. And perhaps neither do we. So Jesus gives us uh, what me as a pastor, what any Bible reader loves, a interpretive passcode. He gives us the key right here into how to read it. We don't have to do any guesswork. We don't have to do any cross-referencing. We can look right here and we can see him define the characters of the story just plainly. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So Jesus isn't the shepherd in this figure of speech. Jesus is the door of the sheep. It says, all who came in before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have a life and have it abundantly. There we see reinforced in John's writing this thesis statement, this closing statement he puts at the end. 
Why does he write the story? Why does he write the novel? So that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by, leave, by believing, you may have life in his name. And what does Jesus say? I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's the intention of Jesus. That's the intention of John communicating Jesus. Jesus is a life giver. That to have one doorway in some sense that is made clear in John is the way to an abundant life. Hear that in pluralistic Portland. That when Jesus says, I am the door, he is saying there is one way to a life that is a life abundant. Of course, it's not just an abundant life. We know from John 3.16 that it is an eternal life. That Jesus came so that we may have eternal life through his death for our sins. Why? Because he loved not just us. He loved the whole world. He loved the whole fallen world. And this is the good news of the Bible. I think we have to remember sometimes as we read the Bible, it is good news. All of this is good news. There are dark parts of the Bible. There are twisted people. There are horrible things. All told to us so that we may understand the healing and the goodness of Jesus. Well, he doesn't identify the sheep here, as I talked about, because people would have understood that. People would have identified. They would have said, we are those sheep. I know who the sheep are. That's me. I'm the one who follows. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Even David the king identifies both as a shepherd leader, I'm sure, but under God as a sheep of his pasture. Jesus, though, particularly is focusing here on the leader role. First, and then he's focusing on the sheep role. So he's gonna, we're going to be talking to both the leader in us and the leaders among us and the sheep in us and the sheep among us. What do I mean by that? We're going to be talking specifically about the roles of pastors, elders, deacons, but also disciplers, evangelists, and parents, all who have a role of shepherding. We're also going to talk about our role even as leaders that are sheep in the flock of greater leaders and finally, sheep in the flock of the greatest leader. And then Jesus has this character of the thief and the robber. And the thief and the robber, he says, climb in what? Just with the intention to steal. How do you know? They don't go through the door. And I think Peterson puts this well in the message where he just says, if a person climbs over or through the fence of a sheep pen instead of going through the gate, you know he's up to no good. That's just kind of all we need. If somebody will not come in Jesus' name, if they refuse to enter through the door, if they deny the name of Jesus, if they don't come in his name, if they don't live in his name, and by that I mean in the way that he lived, speaking the truths that he speaks, in humbleness and meekness, with compassion and love, if they don't come with the traits of Jesus then they are coming over the fence. If they can't be corrected to come through the door and insist on coming over the fence, you know that's a thief and a robber, not just somebody who's ignorant or needs to be corrected, that this person has ill intent. Jesus says they come to steal, kill, and destroy. So I think what Jesus is focusing on particularly is this, this is not just anybody that has a, a wrong idea or something that um, is sort of 
I guess, idly malicious in the sense that it's sinful, but it's not a targeted sinfulness. No, this is somebody who has targeted false leadership. They're coming to steal the sheep of Christ away from him. They're coming in over the gate, taking the sheep back. They're coming in, sorry, over the wall, taking the sheep back over the wall. That this is somebody who is a voice in our life of leadership, potentially, who is proclaiming another way to get to safety and salvation, another way to get out to green pastures for our life. And I particularly am targeting in our day and age, like, I'm not ignorant to the fact that all of us in this church are looking to a wide variety of shepherds. While I am shepherding the flock of citizens, and I don't take that lightly, I'm also aware that we are all looking to other voices. We all have other people who we are trusting and who we are looking to for advice throughout our week. And it isn't just the Bible either. And it isn't just prayer either. These are other podcasts, pastors, sermons. These are other, I hope, all men of God. I pray that. But I also know that there are many people out there who are seeking to steal the sheep. And I think Jesus knows that too. He's talking because the Pharisees have just denied his name but are seeking to lead the people of Israel in the name of religion through sacrifices at the temple. Everything looks right about what they do, but these people are coming over the wall and they're seeking to seek to destroy the sheep because why? They don't do it in the name of Jesus. And because of that, they won't be bringing the sheep to life and life abundant. And John's whole intent of the whole story is to correct that so that as John 3:16 says we should not perish but have eternal life. So I just want to walk through quickly some of the I am statements that Jesus has made so far and think about how these sheep stealers, these thieves and robbers may deny that and that may help us understand. Jesus says I am the light of the world. So a sheep stealer is somebody who denies the light of the world. A sheep stealer is a person who seeks to take a person from the light and take them into darkness as if it's a truer light. None of us are going to walk out and follow a voice that we listen to into obvious darkness and evil and depravity. No, we think it's some kind of light. We're following it because it is an image of goodness for us. It, It brings some sense of clarity that the Christian life we had to rely on belief And maybe this has a practical clarity to it. We like that better. It's a little less of a struggle. Perhaps it's better for our life and it works out for our comfort. Perhaps it's better for our identity and social structure. Perhaps it's better for our political ideologies or whatever. And it leads us out into a darkness instead of the light of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. A false, a sheep stealer, is taking you from a place of constant provision in Jesus, in the reliance of Jesus, on the belief in Jesus, taking you to a place of constant desire and constant want. Now again, you say, John, I would never do that. I don't understand why you would think I would do that. It doesn't look like they're taking you to a place of constant desire and want, but because what they're giving you doesn't rely on the belief and truth of Jesus, but usually on some kind of practical solution, 
whether that is paying for certain lessons or a certain brand identity or wearing certain materials or adopting a certain lifestyle in order to feel good about yourself, in order to feel provided for, whether that's somebody who if you don't serve them in the way they want, they won't give you the provision that you so desire. That person is not acting in the name of Jesus. In fact, if you begin acting in the name of Jesus and that person stops providing for you, you can be sure that that person is coming, is a leader seeking to lead you not through the door of Jesus, but over the fence and back. It is better to have a life of Jesus that is devoid perhaps of every physical comfort than to have the comfort of life, the security of life that is devoid of Jesus. We know this because in Matthew 15, verse 27, a Canaanite woman came to Jesus. She asked him to heal his daughter. Nobody else can do this. Nothing in life can solve her problem short of the miraculous, short of the favor of God. And it's a complicated story, but Jesus says, well, why should I give you what is given for the children of Israel who have followed and been been following Jesus? Why would I give it to a Canaanite who's been denying and is in a history of people denying Jesus? And she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus said to this, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done as you desire. And what this is saying is even the crumbs of Christ are better than the riches of the world. So Jesus puts this, he, he, he ties all of these together, all of these I am statements interlink with each other and provide an incredibly simple, rememberable, relatable theology of Jesus. And he says, I'm the door. It's because I'm the door. It's because there is an, an unpopular exclusivity to believing in Jesus that we all fight and buck up against, but we have to admit it's just for there to be a truth, there must be falsities. And Jesus is the truth, he's the door, and there is one truth. But there's a beauty to that. It allows us to be under his care alone, in his provision alone, and in his place alone. We can know a sheep thief, we can know one of these straight killers, as they're called here, because they go in front of Jesus. They posture themselves as more important in word, in deed, or attitude. They go around the gatekeeper. Now there's some contention around what the gatekeeper is exactly, but I think most of the consensus says that the gatekeeper in the story, because Jesus never explains it, is the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is the one who opens and allows the shepherd to come into the sheep. It's the connective tissue between sheep and shepherd. It's the common ground that we all share with each other, because remember what the Spirit does, it shines a light on Jesus. If we are all looking to Jesus, we are all united in the Spirit. And the Spirit brings all these people together. It would have brought the Jews to Jesus. How? Because of the Old Testament prophecies that in that way the Spirit was guiding the people of Jesus to Christ. That's why we read all of the Old Testament Christocentrically with Jesus at the center of every story and every meaning. Some of you didn't grow up in church doing that. David and Goliath, Noah and the Ark, they all point to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus said they all pointed to Jesus. And so the gatekeeper has guided the people of Israel to the Christ. And John says in his opening chapter, but they 
the, the irony of the whole thing is they won't know him. And so we need to be careful, people that posture themselves in front of Christ like the Pharisees did. Now, they may not flat out deny Christ, but they may in word or they may indeed deny him. He may be coming out of their lips, but there may be no evidence in their leadership that they actually commit and hinge their whole life on the gospel. We'll get into that more as we dive in. So, what then does this text say about good leaders? We've talked a lot about what it says about poor leaders, about treacherous leaders, malicious leaders. What does it say about the Christ-like leaders? He says the good shepherd is a door shepherd, meaning they go through the door. We've talked about how the exclusivity is kind of a bad word, but a good shepherd is an exclusive shepherd, meaning that he is exclusively in worship to Christ and Christ alone. That that shepherd then, in that confidence in his commitment, can actually lead well. We desire in our culture in Portland people who are very open-minded. We love that. We love to be able to talk about anything. This is a, this is a city where freedom is proclaimed in a very particular way. Where self-expression is prized. And so we love that. And in some ways we gravitate that more than we do the exclusivity. The exclusivity feels kind of yucky to some of us. But actually, we need to see that the exclusivity of the Christian message of Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior is deeply comforting. Because if you've lived, as I have for 12 years in this city, awash in this postmodern sea of ideas with no direction really pointing upward, it's exhausting. It's so good to anchor ourselves in a truth. So a shepherd, a leader, a Christian who points to Jesus and can lead other people is committed and confident in that and they seek to care for souls. That their provision by God allows them to care for the total soul of others, which means leaders, door shepherds, are not transactional. We'll get into that when Jesus talks about hired hands. That they have a total care for souls. And that there is a unity between them, the gatekeeper who lets them in, and as we'll see, the good shepherd, Jesus. What are some marks of a true shepherd? One is that a true shepherd will be heard by his own sheep. It says in verse 3, the sheep hear his voice. So what does that hearing mean? What does it mean that... that a true shepherd will be heard by his own sheep. It means that a true shepherd will know that he is actually leading in the spirit. And again, I'm talking about myself as a pastor, preaching to myself here. I'm talking about elders and deacons in church. I'm talking about those of you who have church baggage who are trying to understand if you had poor leaders. I'm trying to talk to you as parents who are thinking, am I shepherding my flock well, my family well? A true shepherd will be heard by their own sheep. That when the sheep are in Christ in your family, when your kids are discipling and they are, they are in the spirit of Jesus, that they will hear you in the spirit of Jesus and there will be some connectivity there. That means that a true shepherd will have an intimacy or a knowing or an understanding. Now it doesn't mean everybody will be best friends in a church under a leader. But it means that a leader and a church member will desire to have an understanding. 
that there will be this mutual growth-mindedness to their relationship, not a desire to have compartmentalization, distance, don't touch my things, don't touch my life, I just feel I have to do it this way, but an openness, a willingness to share, a willingness to build trust and build relationship, even if that's in baby steps. Some of us have had so much hurt in our life that that trust is really shriveled up inside. We don't give that out. We, we guard that very closely. And I'm not saying you should, you should abandon that caution. But I'm saying that when you step in Christ through the Spirit together, that there will be a healing of that trust. And you should see healing happen over time. If you're not, you may want to check and say, do I believe that my shepherd really wants to hear me? And if not, does he know that? Do I need to share that with him? A shepherd, a true door shepherd, will call his sheep by name. A true door shepherd will earn through service, time, and commitment, not just transactionally, but covenantally, through a promise that he has made in Jesus' name to the flock, to the church, to do what he promised to do, regardless of what they do. A good parent will take care of their child and shepherd them to Jesus regardless if the kid wants to know Jesus right at this very minute. It is, it is a popular thing for parents to say, well, I just, I'll, I'll let my kid follow whatever religion they want. It's just like, I don't get it. Kids, you, you discipline them in all kinds of other ways to help them understand the truth of life. Why not show them and ground them in the truth of Jesus? Jesus calls his disciples. He doesn't just say, oh, those disciples will figure me out after I'm died. No, he brings them close to him and he gathers people who believe in him. And there's large disciples around him. And then the shepherd will lead his sheep out into the world. The shepherd will go in front of and lead most of all by example. I think that's the hardest one to take in. That we will lead in word and deed that the shepherd goes before the flock, taking the hits, defending, being the first to go down, the first to be spotted, maybe the first to even spot the enemy on the horizon. That the shepherd relieves the sheep of that utter vulnerability and provides deep protection. The Puritans took this real deep, and I think in a good way. They used to preach very biblically that a shepherd uh, is held accountable before God at the final judgment for his flock. Whoa. Hebrews 13 verse 70 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who would give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So Hebrews takes it deeper. It says, because you're shepherd, because you're pastor, because you're elders, because they are over you to lead you to Christ, make that easy on each other. Grease those gears. Open those pathways of communication. How do you think anybody's going to be refined in Christ, in the Spirit, if we don't openly assume the best about our leaders and for our leaders to assume the best about those they lead? That convicted me. That has convicted me a number of weeks. But when I read this, I said, wow. If I'm held accountable and Hebrews is right, then this compassion is the ground that we need to till in our relationship so that there is an increase of knowing and communication. So that even in the problems and the disconnects we face with each other, we don't retreat then back away 
into our own silos, but that we actually assess and till that ground, that hard ground together side by side and have a knowing come out of that, an understanding. It doesn't mean we're going to be best friends. It means that we get each other and where each other's at. And we can proceed in Christ with each other through that because we worship a healer. So it talks about good and bad leaders in this section. Jesus goes into that. He also talks, though, and he gives quite a bit of time to phony leaders. He gives quite a bit of time to what he calls the hired hand in verse 12. He says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Oof. This is not a thief. No, this is different. A thief has a malicious intent towards the sheep and towards the flock. The hired hand is a leader who clocks in and clocks out. It is a leader who in a way has a lazy or weak mentality. Why? Because of a self-love. Because of a self-centeredness. Things get too difficult. Well, that's fine. They can do their life. They can be judged before God in the end time. That's not my problem. That's not, that's above my pay grade. That's, he actually says that the shepherd owns the sheep because he says the hired hand does not own the sheep. And he doesn't mean that the shepherd has total control and they're under his son. What he means is that the shepherd should act as if these are his children, his sheep, and that he will suffer if a wolf comes and grabs them. That this is not just some job he clocks in and out of. But a hired hand as a leader that you may have experienced is a leader that I have the danger of becoming. Is a leader that anyone who aspires to be leadership should be wary that they may be. Which is somebody who has compartmentalized the spiritual life of the Christian into particular rows in their life. And can say, not right now, that's not what I need to do. And it's because they're consumed in some way with a deeper sense of their own gain, their own greed, glory, PR, comfort, personal happiness. And Jesus says, you've got to be aware of this. Both shepherds who are shepherding that you may be acting like a hired hand and sheep who are following that you may at times have this hired hand shepherd. And if you let it go for a long time, they may habitually, they may totally fall into the hired hand sort of deadness. So then we can also look at it full circle and say, just as the, as the shepherd knows the sheep. Also, if we look at this from the sheep's perspective, these same three, three verses, verse five, three through five, that the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. I think Jesus means this just as much as he's talking about the leader. He says, those who are followers, those who are maybe still growing in their leadership, because I don't believe there are any true followers. I believe we all are training to become leaders in our own regard, in our own specific calling. But in our sheep role, do we hear the voice of our leaders? Do we hear them? And by hear, Jesus doesn't mean, are you hearing like the audio coming through your ears, the sound waves? Are you trusting it? Are you seeing it as true? Are you letting it come in and wreck you or lift you up? 
Or is there some deep filter going on? Is there some deep mistrust there? Is there these inner biases? Work to break those down. The sheep need to hear the shepherd's voice. Hebrews is saying the same thing. We need these clear pathways. But with so many of us in Christian community, whether it's between sheep and shepherd, or whether it's between each other, we have broken these down. It's especially important that we hear the shepherd's voice. And then that they would know his voice, verse 4. That the sheep would know the shepherd's voice. It's an extension of the same thing, but that goes a little further. It's a recognition. Do I recognize the particular warmth of that person's voice? Do I, do I yearn for it? Do I actually like it? Do I like this church? Do I like this pastor? And if so, why not? What is that? And is that in me? Is that in my heart? Take that before God and ask, is that in my heart? Or is there something, there's a phony, there's a phony shepherd going on there. There's a thief that I may be seeing there. What is it, God? Help me understand because if it's my own biases, tear it apart in me. Break it out because it's getting the wind the way of my growth. And lastly, they follow the shepherd's voice. And there's a great illustration here. Um, this is by scholar Gary Burge, who writes that a Palestinian woman, this is in modern times, who had lost her husband in a recent conflict with Israel and who was consequently in dire need was finally permitted by a very hesitant Israeli officer to call her sheep out of a huge mass of sequestered and detained animals. The officer at first pointed to the pen containing hundreds of animals and humorously quipped that it was impossible for her to call out her own small flock. She asked that if she could in fact separate them herself, would he be willing to let her take them? He agreed. A soldier opened the gate and the woman's son produced a small reed flute. He played a simple tune again. And again, and soon sheep heads began popping up across the pen. The young boy continued his music and walked home, followed by his flock of 25 sheep. Each flock of sheep is apparently attuned, he writes, to a very particular and a unique to itself voice or sound. And Jesus is playing on that theme throughout this sermon. We are following the shepherd's voice because it is the voice of the good shepherd. And the shepherd can pick us out with that voice and we can follow. And isn't that amazing? That the true sheep, because they come through the door and the true shepherd because he comes through the door, because they are united in the spirit, even among a mass of people, that the sheep, even in reality, in real life, real sheep can pick out the voice of that shepherd. Why? Because he cares for their souls, because he loves them, because there's an actual affinity there. That's so crucial to our church that it is tied together with an actual affinity. This is the thing that I sit down and say, it's so simple, John. It's so simple in a way. Like them. Like citizens. Like your kids. Like those you disciple. It's not about a thing or an agenda or a goal. It's about like actually doing this together and enjoying it while we do it. Now, the, the, sort of what this all is leading to is that Jesus now takes the shepherd role. Up until now, Jesus is the door 
And he's talking very practically about personal leadership, about the way that we're led, about the way that we lead in our culture, specifically as followers of him. But now he's saying, I am the good shepherd, verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. As soon as Jesus stakes himself as the ultimate archetype, he really lays out what it is that is so foundational for a shepherd. But at the same time that he lays out the archetype, like any archetype, like any hero, like anything that's in these extreme pure forms, we as humans are unable to totally achieve it. So Jesus has to take that role on. He says, I, here's what he's saying. I am the best shepherd. I'm the best one. We're all looking to leaders to be as good as Jesus and they never will be. That's the beauty of Jesus taking on the role of the best shepherd, of the truly good shepherd. Is that it allows us to deal with the human failings and human successes we have all experienced. We have all been under pastors who have utterly failed it and blew it. We have all been under parents who have utterly failed it and blown it. And we have let that build deep bitterness and resentment and walls, not just mistrust against that leader, but mistrust against all future leaders, mistrust against all future people who follow us in leadership, those of us who lead. Because humans blow it. And Jesus is saying not to worry. You're all under shepherds to the best shepherd. And he says, you can trust me absolutely because I and the Father are one. He says that in verse 30, verse 25. He says, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. What's he getting out there? He says flat out, I and the Father are one, which by the way is part of the main intent John's after with this book. He says that, that you would know that Jesus is the Son of God. But But Jesus says, how do you know? Because the works that I do, the life that I actually lead matches up. What I profess, what I do match up. I live to bear witness about the Father. The under-shepherd lives to bear witness about Jesus, the Christ, the Savior. And that should both highly clarify what we look for in a leader. And it should also wreck all of us in our leadership in the ways that we have failed with that. And that's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus, is that those two things are not um, opposed to each other. They're not opposites. That those are actually just a true viewing of the human experience, and they shout out. I think of dry bones. Dry bones come alive. We shout out in our deadness because Jesus brings the life. And how does he bring it? He brings it because he laid down his life. The good shepherd is completely linked to the coming cross that Jesus is talking about in this section. Remember, he has not died yet. He is going toward the cross. And he says, it is more just than a leader be a sinless man. No, you've got that all over the place. You've got all of these Pharisees proclaiming to be the sinless man. We've got all sorts of leaders around us proclaiming to be moral and pure. He says, that's not what a great leader is. A great leader is a saving man or woman. And he goes, I am the ultimate. I am the savior. I am the only one that can bring life out of death. 
And he demonstrates that and he lives that out and he makes that spiritual thing that he knows as truth an actual verifiable truth by going to the cross. He brings it up three times in this section. He brings it up again in verse 15. He says, just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then verse 17, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life. But here he links it so perfectly. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Now, I want you to notice something here that's super important. Jesus lays down his life. Jesus does not just actually kind of after three years of ministry finally bite the dust because he didn't hide fast enough when they were about to stone him and he gets put on a cross and crucified. It's not like some, oh, my time finally ran out, shoot. No, Jesus escapes every stoning in miraculous ways. He hid and left, he, he retreats, he goes off. Sometimes it just seems like he straight up vanishes. Because it wasn't his will to die. He says, my hour has not yet come, talking about the cross. It is his will to die, and he will do it when it is time. And it is his will to be resurrected. I think a lot of us think that God the Father resurrected Jesus. out of Jesus was actually dead, and God the Father resurrected him of his power. No, no, Jesus is God, and he died at his will and resurrected at his will. Those two things are so powerful when you view them together. Let's mine a little deeper first into the cross and the crucifixion and what it means that Jesus, as the door, is also the good shepherd. Richard D. Phillips talks about these things in his commentary. He says, there are two kinds of sheepfolds in ancient Palestine, and Jesus refers to both in this chapter. In the parable, Jesus made use of the more durable structure in the towns, a high-walled sheep pen with a paid guard into which all the shepherds would bring their flocks. But now he refers, when he talks about being the door, to the more rustic sheepfolds out in the fields. These were similar and less substantial and were used for the sheep's safety at night. The key feature of these sheep pens was that they did not have a door, only an open space in the wall of piled rocks. After bringing in his sheep, the shepherd would lay down his own body across the space so that he slept in the entry. He himself became the door. And then with an eyewitness account of this happening, an Old Testament scholar, Sir George Adam Smith, was traveling through Palestine when he came across a shepherd and his sheep. During their conversation, the shepherd showed him the fold in which he had let his sheep sleep. It consisted of four walls with one open space. Sir George asked the shepherd whether that opening was how the sheep got in. Yes, said the shepherd. And when they are in there, they're perfectly safe. But there's no door, said Sir George. I'm the door, said the shepherd. He explained, when the light has gone and all the sheep are inside, I lie in the open space and no sheep ever goes out but across my body. And no wolf comes in unless he crossed my body. I am the door. So when Jesus says he's the door and when he says the good shepherd will lay his life down, those two things are one Jesus that Jesus is the good shepherd and he is the good shepherd because the good shepherd lays down his life as the door, as the one who is the protector, as the one who will die and does die for his flock so that they may live. And he does it at his will. He chooses to lay down and be the door because he's not some hired hand. And this is the level of servant leadership that we are all called to in the name of Jesus. 
This is the wild level. Bruner, Frederick Bruner, commentator, says this. He says, it, Jesus has the will to die for others and the will to live again for others. And it is through the death of one's self-love, the hired hand, it is through the death of one's self that is the only way to live eternally for others. So you see how they're both part of the will. I desire, all of us in some way, I think desire moralistically to live for other people. But to actually recognize that the truth, the only path, the door for that is to lay down our life so that we may live for others. That's the part we struggle with. And Jesus went before us and he has done it. And he says, I am proof that it is good. I'm proof that life is eternal. I'm proof that this is the most loving way to live for people. Why? Because even you say it when you see what I do. You know that's love. And the only way it's possible is to lay down our life for other people. That's the only way to get the life abundant. And that's what the door means. And that's who the good shepherd is. And that's what we as leaders are called to be. That we may have life in the name of Jesus, as John says. I heard this week that Jesus didn't die for what's wrong with you, but for what's right in you. So many of us think about our wrongs and our sins and just are undone by them. Jesus didn't die for those things. He died for what's right in you that can come out when you die to those things and live for the best things. And they're in you, they're in there. So what happens after Jesus gives this whole thing? He walks out just as we will walk out today out of church, perhaps with some revelation, I hope in some affected way by the Spirit, into the turmoil of the world that just keeps going on. We walk out of this and Jesus no sooner ends his thing than people jump back into, are you a demon? Like, are, are you, like, what is going on? This is insanity. We hate you. I'm not going to go into all of this text. There's so much here that we could talk about. But the reality of life is no matter what, as a Christian, we will go through a transformative experience, but the world will go on in turmoil. And it should be beautiful to us to look even in the turmoil and see that Jesus in the turmoil speaks plainly. He refutes straightly. And that many believe from what Jesus did. I think some of us think Jesus only talks in riddles. Right? We just expect Jesus to be like Mr. Miyagi and the Karate Kid and just wax on, wax off. And we're like, okay, Jesus, I don't get it. Where's this going? This is what church feels like to me. I don't really get how this is going to improve me. Remember the main intent of what John's saying. He speaks it plainly. Jesus speaks it plainly. I am the door. I am the shepherd. He speaks it plainly in a world of turmoil in verse 25 through 29. He just jumps in and he says, I'll tell you what it is. And I'll tell you how it works. And the Bible speaks plainly to us. As a church, we ought to speak plainly to each other. And Jesus does speak plainly. Even though sometimes the only way that we can grow is to wax on and wax off. And it will continue in a world of turmoil. And that's really <clears throat> this last half this brokenness that Jesus walks into, doesn't it seem all the more insane, all the more dark, 
when you've seen the truth of what the gospel really means for life, to look at this bickering and the selfishness and the tribalism that happens to the point that the Jews pick up stones again for the second time to throw at Jesus when he has just proclaimed not just the best way to life, but the total assurance that we will have life. But the crux of it is that the Christian life is not simply a practical manual for self-help, Self-help, it requires belief, and that's where we struggle. They're not struggling to understand it. They're struggling to believe it. And where we can take heart is it was enough at the end of the chapter here to see that many believe. Many, many people did believe. And so we pray today, I pray for you, that if the Spirit is moving into you today, to, to a new understanding of Jesus. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, that today you would give your life because you understand and the Spirit has moved you in that gospel truth. And if you have kind of played around with it and you haven't actually deep in your heart affirmed that and said, now I get it, I want it, I want to publicly commit to that, that you would do so. That you would talk to me if you need to. That if we need to do a baptism, we would do a baptism. I would love that. Because this is what Jesus is after, is our affections, our trust, our belief. I just want to close today by reading um, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Just let just meditate in this in quietness. Reflect on this passage. Reflect on the gospel truth of the door of the good shepherd who chooses to die and chooses to rise again as I read. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lay down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Praise God. Praise be to God. Amen. Amen. It is true. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would move us today, that you are moving us, that we would see you. God, I pray that we would take this kernel, this, this truth that is so simple and understandable, yet so profound, infinitely profound for our whole life, and that you would make it real and lasting in us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.